I don't know how to feel about the fact that I'm the favorite Jacobson. It's fine. It's fine. He's still my favorite Jacobson. That's cute, right? Yeah, it's cute. Uh, we've been married coming on 15 years. That's crazy to me. Oh, thank you. Well, we'll take an applause for that. Um, we've been together for 17 years, and something really crazy happened. Um, last spring, Dan surprised me. Something I never would have expected after that many years together. I wouldn't have thought that he could have done anything that would actually catch me off guard, but it did. Um, he started running. <laughs> You've heard about it, right? He's like added it into sermons so you know, like he's a runner now, and so I'm married to a runner, and so I have to hear about it all the time. I'm, he's telling me about his PRs and his routes and his splits. I don't know what a split is, but it's something important for people who run. And so I, I thought that really this was going to be a phase where um, he trained with Team World Vision and then he'd get over it. But it has lasted. It has lasted. And it has also meant that time and time again I have to hear him say, you know, you could come with me. Running so good for you. Come on. He tells me all the time, that, of course, the physical health benefits, but also the mental health benefits, and on and on and on. He goes about running, and then something really crazy happened. Two weeks ago, I went for a run. Oh, wow. Okay, we got a runner here, apparently. Hey, okay, I, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the constant stories that really wore me down or if it was the fact that um, it was one of those, you know, like today, a gorgeous February day that you're not expecting the sun and the 60 degrees. Um, I think also had to do with the fact that I had a dog who desperately needed some exercise. But whatever it was, it brought me to a place where I thought, maybe I should give this a try. So, I downloaded an app, the Nike Run Club app, and I've been told to tell you that if you're a serious runner, you don't use this app, apparently. You use the Garmin app, but that's neither here nor there. I clearly am not serious yet. I use the Nike app. This app tracks your progress, helps you see your pace, helps you look afterwards, look at all the calories I burned. This is great. Best part about the app is that it comes with your own personal running coach. So I, I lace up my shoes, grab the leash, head out the door, got my AirPods in, and I'm, I'm just I'm 60 seconds in, and then I hear the voice of my coach, Coach Bennett, right? It's like the Ted Lasso of running, you guys. He's amazing. He comes in my ears, he's like, you're doing it. You're a runner. I'm like, I am, I'm a runner, I'm doing it. And he's so encouraging right out of the, out of the gate. And I was pumped, really, surprisingly pumped because I had chosen the beginner program. So I expected that Coach Bennett was gonna come in my ear and he was gonna start instructing me, a beginner, on how to run. So I'm waiting to hear something about my stride or, or something about my pace or maybe finally find out what a split is. But to my surprise, he, he didn't do any of that. The first thing he said to me, besides you're doing it, you're a runner, he said, now, don't start too fast. 
terrific. I can do this. I can do this. So he says, don't, don't start too fast. And then he goes quiet for a little while. And I'm running, I'm running. He comes back in, and the next thing he says to me is, don't lose track of your breathing. Don't speed up. Don't look at the minutes ticking by on your watch. Now, at this point in my run, I, I was utterly confounded because you want to know all the things that I was doing at that moment in time? I was speeding up. My breathing was completely out of control, and you better believe I was watching every single second tick by on my watch. It has shocked me because Coach Bennett, obviously the pro with that kind of stash, he, he knew something that is true about when we are starting something new. So many times, it's, it's best to know what not to do first. And I, I got to tell you, just to round out the story, I finished the run, and doggone it, I felt great. Can't believe it. I'm like a runner now, you guys. I've gone on five runs. It's, it's a big deal. It's a huge thing for me. Thank you all. Hold for your applause. Okay, great. The first service, after I, I taught this, the first service, someone came up and gave me a $10 off at Fleet Feet. He was like, you got this. So this is paying off. So here's the deal. Coach Bennett, he's teaching me, a beginner, how to, how to run by telling me how not to run. And this morning, like Brad mentioned, we are continuing on in our Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus is taking a shift from, from giving instruction about a lot of things to now kind of zeroing in on a really important topic for the Christian life, and it's the topic of prayer. And in next week, we are going to get to the blueprint that Jesus gives for prayer, which everybody knows, you know, that when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, you get it. We're not there yet. Because before Jesus launches into that, he offers us some instruction on how not to pray. And those are the verses that we're going to dig into this morning. You with me? All right, we are in Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 5 here. This is what Jesus says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, first thing to note this morning about how not to pray is what Jesus says here. He says, don't pray to be seen. Don't pray to be seen. He starts off by collectively talking about this group of people. He calls, the, the word translated here is don't be like the hypocrites. We know that word hypocrite. We've heard it a lot comes from the Greek word Hippocrates. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Go with it. The Greek word means actor. So someone who pretends to be something that they're not. In our common everyday language, we, we often say a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. Or somebody who doesn't practice what they preach. And so 
it's interesting that the word here is used is, is hypocrites. Who Jesus is talking about is the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of the day. And in fact, they were practicing what they preached. They were keeping the law as perfectly as they possibly could. So the reason that Jesus is condemning them is not because they're saying one thing and doing another. So what is it? It's got to be the public prayer, the public part of what's happening here. But corporate prayer can't be wrong. Otherwise, we are out of line already this morning. We had Pastor Brad come up here and he prayed in front of all of us. There's, there's moments even later in our service where we will open the altars and you can come forward to pray with our prayer team. All over scripture, we see that to live in Christian community often means to pray corporately. Jesus did it. Paul did it. So it can't be the public part that's wrong. What is Jesus condemning here when he says, don't be like them? It's the heart. Look, look again at what he says. He says, don't pray like them, like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? To be seen by others. The issue here is the heart. It's the motivation. Why are they out there praying? It's not just because God has asked them to do it. It's because they want everyone to see, look how righteous we are. Pride is the root of the problem here. For these religious leaders, prayer had become a performance. Our motives matter. And, and pride, it can be really, really sneaky. It can seep into almost anything that we do. In fact, before Jesus jumps into this section about prayer, just a few verses before, you can go back later this week and read leading up to it, Jesus talks about don't let your righteousness be done before men. He says when you give to the poor, don't do it with blowing trumpets and, and, and sounding cymbals. He says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The same issue is there. That we can serve and we can give and we can do it from a heart that wants recognition. And that's what Jesus is guarding against here. Have you, um, have you struggled with that in your own life? That battle of, of making our time with the Lord or prayer, whatever it is that you're doing, making it more about what other people think than what God thinks? I know I have, I can be honest with you, that I have served, I have given, heck, I have even preached with more concern for the recognition of what people would say than what God thinks. I've done that. It seeps in, and if we're not careful, and if we're not on guard against it, 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 it will corrupt our hearts. Maybe for you it's something more like, I just need you to know that this is the fourth week in the row that I have served in the nursery because nobody else is serving and I'm the one that's doing it, right? That's an attitude of I need recognition for this even though it's something I'm doing, should be for the Lord. Or 
how about uh, an Instagram post? You know what I'm talking about, you've seen it. That like really moody shot with the Bible open on the table and the coffee cup right here and it's like time with the Lord, right? Hey, I'm not being judgy, I've, I've done that. I have, po- I have been that, it is, uh, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. I've posted that and, and for, there's, a, there's a motive there that is pure. It's to encourage others, to say, hey, I'm spending time with Jesus. I want to encourage you to spend time with Jesus, too. That's great. But, but we're kidding ourselves if, if we don't realize that we're putting ourselves in a position to just check back on that and, and track the likes and, and see what kind of attention has that gotten and then what's happening internally in our heart when we receive that kind of recognition. It's sneaky. And it's, it, there's two sides of this corrupt coin, right? If there's the one side of pride is, is being sure that everyone knows how righteous I am, there's another side. And it's being too concerned with the fact that people might disapprove. Maybe you've had a moment in your life where you're in a small group setting or, or with a friend and you're hearing them talk about something they're walking through. And something inside of you is like, you should, why don't you pray with them right now? But for some reason, you're stopped. And that reason is you think, well, I, I don't know what to say. What would they think of me if I, if I said the wrong thing? Or how would they think, what would they think of me if I was acting super spiritual and, and asked to pray for them right now? Is this not the same issue? That we are far too concerned with what people would think instead of leaning in to what God invites us to. In both of those instances, pride is the issue. Jesus says, don't don't be like them. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't pray to be seen. You know what? They have received their reward. What they're after is the, the attaboys, the accolades, for people to say, wow, what devotion. What piety, these wonderful religious people. And if they get that, that's all they get. Don't pray to be seen. And then Jesus moves on to this. And when he's talking about the pagans, he offers us the next thing. He says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't pray to be seen. Don't pray to be heard. Listen, this is, this is a problem for us today. When we, when we consider that the, the first century was, was struggling with um, two, two main religious groups. There were, there were the Jews and then there were the non-Jews. And so when he says pagan, sometimes that word is translated as Gentiles. This simply means anyone who isn't a Jew. And in this time, Rome had occupied the region and brought with it the Roman religion, which was lots and lots of gods. And so the pagans were known to have, when they went before the Lord, their goal was for appeasement. When they went and prayed to their gods, their goal was to prove to their gods that they were good enough, that they had done everything right, now it's time for you to show favor on me. 
And they did this in a way that even scholars write about uh, what these Gentiles were known for, and, and they were known for praying in a specific way. They would list every single name of every single God they could think of just to cover their bases. So you can imagine, they're out there, they're standing there, they're just rattling off name after name after name, just begging their gods to see them and to show favor to them. This is different than what the Jews were doing, because what the Jews did, if the flaw of the Pharisee was to perform for others, to prove how righteous they were, the flaw of the pagan was to perform for God. Do you see the difference there? They were attempting to prove their worth to their gods. And, I, and I, I do think this way of thinking may have found its way into our modern Christianity. We can fall into this quid pro quo way of approaching God. You may have grown up in a tradition, in a church that told you you had to pray a certain prayer, perhaps even a certain prayer a certain number of times in order to be forgiven. Or maybe you had to pray a certain prayer in a certain way in order to have security or safety. You had to pray a certain way in order to have blessing or protection for your family. Listen, this is not what Jesus invites us into. They think they will be heard because of their many words. He warns his followers, don't fall into this trap. I have to fight against this way of thinking too. I, I grew up in a church that, uh, that was pretty strict with, with how they taught, how to pray, when to pray, how to read the Bible, when to read the Bible. And I have to fight against this inclination that these are all efforts I have to put forth so that God will answer me. And it especially sneaks in when I think about my kids. I want to raise my kids to know and love Jesus. And I think, man, if I just pray for them enough, then God will have to ensure that they follow him. If I ABC, then God will surely XYZ. That's not what Jesus wants for us. That's the same thing as us imagining that we will be heard because of our many words. Don't, don't pray that way. Don't, don't pray to be heard. Listen, Jesus is, is laying out for us a ditch over here. And it's, it's to engage with God in a way where you put your righteousness on display for all to see. And then there's a ditch over here where you work so hard, you, you do everything so right that God has to answer you. And when we're talking about prayer, we need to understand that in order to avoid the temptation to perform for others and in order to avoid the temptation to perform for God is the answer to that is the same. It's by embracing the relationship that you have 
with your Father God. It's all about relationship. I mean, look back at the beginning of this passage, because let me tell you first, we, we don't pray to be heard, we don't pray to be seen, we pray because of this, we pray because we are known. Now look back here, because relationship is all over this passage. After Jesus instructs the, us not to pray like the Pharisees, he tells us how to pray. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You see the language there. It's so personal. It's so personal. Go into your room. It's private. Go. This, is, this is between you and your father. The essence of what Jesus is calling us to is relationship. Now, this, this passage may have seemed familiar to you because this idea of having a space where you can go and be alone with Jesus, like a prayer room or a prayer closet, this has become popular in the past several years. There was a movie not too long ago about a war room. I don't know if you saw it. I didn't see it. Don't worry. It's not neither here nor there. The point is that people have caught on to this idea. Of, of making this an actual, literal space that you go to be alone with Jesus. And, and when I was studying, I did a little Googling, and I, I came across actually some instructions that people had put online about how to make a prayer room. Now, I, I just have to comment because I can't help myself. The idea of, like, people posting about their prayer room kind of defeats the purpose of what Jesus is talking about, right? Like, look at my prayer room. It's a little ironic, okay? But let's give them the benefit of the doubt, okay, to say maybe what they're doing here is to try and encourage people. Look, you can go and you can spend time alone. This is a really great thing. But I want to offer to you, while this is fine and if you have space for it, that's great. When we think about it literally like this, we kind of stunt the significance of what Jesus is inviting us to. Because it doesn't have to be a room where you close the door. What Jesus is inviting us to is to find a space where we can push away distractions. Where we can remove the temptation to make prayer about anything other than connection and communion with our Father. And so that can be anywhere. That could be on a walk or a run. Now, maybe that's an option for me. It, it could be on a drive. It could be in this room, in the middle of a worship, a worship set in the morning where you just push everything away and commune you and your father. I heard this story about uh, John, the mother of John Wesley. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist Church on 18th century theologian, pastor, and it said that his mother would take a chair in the kitchen and she would sit down and she would take her apron and fold it over her head. And so the kids would be coming and going and they would know if her apron was over her head, don't mess with mama, she's talking to her father. I love the heart of that. 
This is what is available to us because our God is not a God who demands us perform. Our God is not a God who who wants us to be out performing religion for others. He wants us to be meeting, to be communing with him. Um, I, I have to be a bit honest here and tell you that when I think about this instruction... It, it hits differently as someone who has, like, kind of a public ministry. Like, we, we, Dan and I have been in ministry for, ever, ever, for the entire time we've been married. Um, so I have always had some kind of public-facing role. And so whether that was, you know, teaching at retreats or conferences or leading a Bible study, whatever it was, I, I've always had these opportunities to be engaging with people about the Lord. So wonderful. I'll have seasons in my life where, where I get the chance to teach or I, or I t- have an opportunity to give godly counsel or I, I pray with people. And these are all so, so wonderful. Um, they're blessings to me. But there have been times in my life where, if I am honest, that public connection with God has surpassed my private connection with God. And that that's a poor way to be in relationship. It's kind of like if you know somebody who's married and you see them out and about in public and you see that they're like loving and attentive and caring to one another, but behind closed doors, maybe they're sort of distant and kind of living two separate lives. That marriage, you know, is not going to last and this is what Jesus is, is warning us against, that we can't let the public displays of our relationship with him surpass the intimate, private, personal connection with him. So maybe that looks a little different for you. What, what, what I'm offering to you this morning is that what Jesus is calling us to has to be more than just Sunday morning. If the only time you are considering the fact that you have a good father is here in this room for 65 minutes on a Sunday, you are missing a deep and abiding relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. If it's just on a Wednesday night at midweek or maybe when you pray before bed or pray over before a meal, listen, you are, you're missing out on the reward that Jesus wants to give you. And he uses that, that word, reward. He says, your father who sees what others don't will reward you. And that reward is a, is a deep, deep, abiding relationship with him. Embracing your relationship with, with God, your father, that is how we avoid performing for others. But listen, this is, it's also how we avoid performing for God. Look at, look at what Jesus says here in verse 8. This is after he talks about the pagans, those ones who babble on and on. He says, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So the gods of their day, they required rituals and sacrifices and specific prayers. 
but not so with your God. Your father doesn't need you to perform in that way. Your father is in relationship with you. And what is relationship if not knowing and being known? This is, this is true in earthly relationships, isn't it? You might have a best friend or a sister or a spouse that it's like they know you better than you know yourself. Like, you know, you're getting cranky and they're like, you need a nap and maybe a snack and then we'll be better, right? Or you might have a best friend who's like, you, feel, you seem stressed. Should we go grab a cup of coffee so we can just decompress a little bit? This is not tr anywhere truer than with a parent and a child. You know, where you know what your kid needs. I remember when our kids were younger, we um, inevitably every Christmas break or every summer vacation, we would have a, a stint of time where bedtime would get later and later and later. And, and by that third day, it seemed like like clockwork, the kids were like, crazy. <laughs> like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they were nuts, they were not listening, they were just having their way. And you know what never happened? Never once did one of my children come to me and say, you know what, Mom? I think I'm just really overtired right now. You know what? I think I'm having a hard time listening and obeying because I just really need some sleep. Would it be okay if tonight you put us to bed a little earlier? And I, I bet by tomorrow I'll feel well rested and good as new, right? No child does that. The parent has to come in and say, all right, it's, it's time to go to bed because we know what they need. Do you see where I'm going here? Sometimes we think we know what we need, but actually... Our father does. Can you think of a time when maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed, Lord, please just let this relationship work out. Or you prayed and prayed and prayed, I need this job. I need this job. It has to be this job. And God said no. And years later, you can look back and say, man, I thought I needed that, but it turns out my father knew better. He knows what we need. I, you know, I'm not sure that I can say it any better than the great theologian Garth Brooks. <clears throat> he said, um, sometimes some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And we can trust that because our Father knows what we need. He knows what we need. And listen, it's not just when we think we know he knows better. There's something else happening here. Jesus says he knows what we need before we even ask. Have you ever been in a season in your life where you came before the Lord and you didn't even know what to say? I... I have been, at points in my life, so distressed, so fearful, so overwhelmed, that if I were to just come before God, I wouldn't even know where to start. Maybe you are in one of those seasons today where because of grief, 
Maybe it's doubt. You're not even sure you believe this God. Maybe it's anger because you're sick of hearing no for all the things that you've prayed for. So you come before God and you, you are literally speechless before him. I gotta show you this incredible truth in Romans chapter eight, because this is such a comfort to us that we have a God who knows what we need. Listen, this is how Paul talks about it. He says, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the, what is the mind of the spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I hope that brings you comfort this morning. If you're new in your walk with Jesus and, and you are like, I don't even know how to talk to God, Spirit prays for you. If you're so overwhelmed, if you're so tired, you don't know what to say, Spirit prays for you. This is what it means to be in relationship with a father who loves you. As we close this morning, I want to just look at this passage one more time. And as I read this, would you stand and hear God's word? Jesus says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who sees what is unseen then your Father will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him.